1: Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 513 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are here just a couple days after leaving you last time where we were talking about recruiting. Remember, we were saying, hey, what's Duke gonna do in the portal? Where, well, we've we've gotten some little hints about that. I am Jason Evans, I'll be your host this
2: time. I am
1: joined by Donald Wine. Donald, how are you doing, my friend?
2: Good. And it's funny, it, it we had a ton of people who kept asking us over our little break that we took. Uh, yo, what about recruiting? Like, what's up with a big man? like we're we're gonna lose out all these big men. And the answer was always patience. seems like as we move forward, there's I mean, we have this guy we're gonna talk about, and maybe some more people will just pop up in the portal with a little patience,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Sam could not join us. And in fact, you know, I don't know at this moment whether we should be calling this a uh, a dBr podcast or a dBR bytes. Uh, it could fall somewhere in between. <laughs> we'll see
2: how. There's another topic we're going to talk about. We'll see how long yeah. we talk about it.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. Uh, in any event, uh, let's get to the first topic, which is that uh, we have just in the past couple days gotten word of a another big man that Duke is pursuing. In fact, there's been chatter. I don't know that it's been confirmed. There's been talk that he will be doing a visit to Duke, perhaps this weekend or in the next you know week or two. His name, he is from Utah Valley, which is not exactly a, a place that you would ordinarily expect to find Duke uh, Duke doing the recruiting mining. But uh, his name is Aziz Bendego. Uh, he is from Dakar, Senegal. And if you wanted Duke to go after a dude who was a big shot blocker, a rim protector, then you have found the, the right candidate. He averaged almost three blocks per game last year. For Utah Valley. He is seven feet tall, 215 pounds, and explosive. Explosive is a really good way to describe him, don't
2: you think, Donald? Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy that, you know, will pick and rolls. He does a lot off the pick and roll, and his finishes are with authority. Let's say that. I mean, he's getting up, he's yamming people, uh, he's dunking very, very hard, uh, to the point where You know, I I feel like his hands are probably have calluses after every game because that's how hard he goes to the rim. But Jason, I think the part that's exciting about this player, like you mentioned, is the rim protection, you know, almost three blocks a game. I think in Kempom, he was ranked 29th nationally in block percentage, which is very, very high. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, it,
1: it's worth noting yeah. Derek Lively was third. <laughs> yes, so he he's not going to be. Let's be clear, not another Derek Lively. I don't know that we'll. <laughs> we we had Mark Williams and Derek Lively back to back. That's like an embarrassment. Yeah,
2: yeah. We're spoiled, but at the same time, the fact that he can, you know, clean up, he he averaged, you know, a double double uh, last year. So that means he can get on the glass. He can help Cal Filipowski on the glass, and I think that is what excites me the most. And on offense, again, if we have a guy who can finish around the rim when he's in the game. And and I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. This guy's not planning to start like whoever we get from the big men, uh, like through the, through the portal is not necessarily a guy that unless we get maybe some of the guys we talked about a few weeks ago is a guy that people should look to, to be a starter, but a guy that can come off the bench and do like 10, 15 minutes. I think if he's efficient in his time, then I think in that point, it won't matter like how long he's playing as long as he's efficient.
1: Look, I, 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 I don't know whether Duke is necessarily looking to get a starter here or whether they're looking to get someone who's going to be a defensive stopper role player. I kind of feel like until we have Sean Stewart on campus and really see what he does and how he looks playing next to Kyle Filipowski and some of the other guys in the team, we don't have a great sense of of what Duke is going to get from, from their big man unless as you say, one of these guys who's currently in the NBA draft process, you know, literally a guy who's good enough to perhaps be thinking about an NBA career rather than a college career, unless we get a guy like that who decides to come back to school, then, then, yeah, I agree with you. We're looking at someone probably who, who is, you know, sharing the minutes along with Ryan Young and Sean Stewart and perhaps Christian Reeves, who knows. Uh, but in any event, I, I, I like that you mentioned, that uh, Aziz Bendego is a, a double double kind of guy. He averaged better than eleven points per game and just over ten point one rebounds per game, which which are good numbers, but show you that he's not someone. And again, that's at Utah Valley, not the same as playing in a Power Six conference. A good team, you know, and and a, and a really good coach they had there who just moved on to to Cal, um, but but not playing the same caliber of competition that you'll be playing at Duke. So. So a, a guy who who doesn't who's not going to demand the ball. This is not some guy who averaged 15 plus points per game. Uh, this is someone who's mostly going to score uh off of off of dunks and putbacks, uh, which, which is fine. You, you mentioned pick and roll. It, it, I, I think, you know, it's exciting to think about the possibility of someone like that for Duke playing pick and roll. Cause I'm not sure Duke has someone, maybe Sean Stewart, but I'm not sure we have someone else who you feel like would be that kind of a, a pick and
2: roll threat. Yeah, and I think it adds another dimension to a guy driving the lane, right? Like we we've had a lot of Duke players who could drive the lane and then all of a sudden they're in the lane with three other guys and you're like, what are they going to do with the basketball other than maybe try to shoot over three guys or pass back out to someone for a three, but having another option that can move with them. I think Ryan Young did that in spot duties, but he's not a guy that's known to be a pick and roll type of guy, right? Like he's a guy that's going to be back to the basket. Dad move you all the way to, to the rim and lay it in. But this guy is going to add another dimension to our guys on the perimeter who can drive. So that means, again, if Jeremy Roach decides to return to Duke, if we, you know, Tyrese Proctor, Caleb Foster, those guys, if they can drive the lane and have an extra guy to be there, that's cool. But Jason, the last thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned that his coach from uh, Utah Valley just went to Cal. Of course, the first thing he did was call Bendigo and say, yo, Bendigo, won't you come over to Cal? Cal is one of the listed teams, uh, according to a portal report that have express interest in them, but it, it's really like Duke, Cincinnati, Kansas, Vanderbilt in Illinois, are the other ones. So it's a wide range of teams, but a lot of power five teams are looking at this guy as a possible addition to their team. And,
1: and, and I don't think Cal is a good fit for him because uh, they've already brought in a different transfer. A guy who actually used to be right. at Utah Valley a couple of years ago, then went to Texas <laughs> Tech and now he's at Cal. Um, And and he is for sure going to be the, the starter there. At Cal, you know, he's a pretty significant player for Texas Tech last year. So so I don't think, you know, if Bendigo, if he, I, I'm not sure that that Cal makes a lot of sense for him, although I could see him following his coach. It's worth noting that this is a kid who he would be on his second transfer. So he would have to get a waiver from the NCAA to be immediately eligible. And it is an interesting situation in terms of what he said when he entered the portal because I think you're starting to see why he's probably going to get that waiver from the NCAA and be immediately eligible. Bandago said, he pointed out that he's from Sudan and he said that his mental health has suffered at Utah Valley. And he said, I, he, this is a direct quote. He said, I just know I want to be closer to my friends and family that I have in the U S look, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not speaking down about Utah Valley when I present the fact, the fact that there are very, very few African American students on campus there, for a guy I was from just Senegal, about to mention that Jason. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. For a guy from Senegal to come to the United States and go to Utah Valley, just like whoa, you know, major culture shock. And I, I suspect he's looking for a school that has more diversity, and and a school that perhaps that has some you know Senegalese students or or, or other African exchange students. People that can that he can relate to that he can feel more comfortable around than he might have at, at Utah Valley. And again, that's no disrespect to Utah Valley. It's just the nature of
2: different schools and the type of students they attract. And again, the geography of it as well. You know, a lot of these schools that he mentioned that I that I mentioned, a couple of them are on the East Coast or at least East adjacent. Right. So you can get to like his his family from Senegal. If they chose to come to see him play, it would be much easier for him to do so. If he was, especially at Duke, because, you know, Duke has international flights that can get you to Africa in maybe a stop, maybe two to get to to Senegal. So it's not where he has to, you know, his his family would have to fly for several days, essentially, to get to watch him play. It's the possibility that he can go to a school in Duke that is diverse. It's in Durham, which is, you know, a, a hugely diverse city, full of life and also very much closer, I would say, to his family. So I, I think those factors are weighing in as well. And, and Jason, like you said, that's probably why he gets the waiver if he can transfer to a situation that he feels he's more comfortable.
1: All right. Well, look, we're just speculating and the guy hasn't even come and taken his visit yet. Look, Caden Shedrick took a visit and and we heard all this talk that he was maybe, you know, going to verbal to Duke and he was telling people he was going to Duke and ended up in Texas. So you can never tell the, the portal gives the portal takes away and the portal is a mysterious beast. Uh, Speaking of Mysterious Beasts, the DBR podcast will be taking a quick break. When we come back from that break, we got to talk about academics. Folks, you may not like the numbers you were about to throw at you about Duke men's basketball and how the NCAA sees our graduation rate. Stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup There's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime you
2: want. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com/duke roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com/duke roundup.
1: All right, we're back from the break, and earlier this week, on Tuesday, Duke released a press a press release where they were very, very proud of something, and it is certainly something worth every Duke alumni, everyone who supports Duke Athletics being excited about. Duke said that they had 16, 16 of their varsity athletic programs had registered a perfect score of 1,000 in the most recent academic progress report done by the NCAA. And, and by the way, that's a four year rolling average of 1000. 1000 is a perfect score. And these programs each, for four consecutive years, graduated every athlete that came to their program. And I should point out it's not, it's actually called Academic Progress Report APR. It doesn't technically mean graduate, it means that you're making progress toward graduation. So it takes into account. Folks who leave school early to turn pro or to transfer, or whatever else it may be, as long as they complete their courses and they're making progress toward graduation, they count on the plus side in this thing. And I want to name those those programs at Duke. And again, there's 16 of them, which is like a record or something like that. It's it's ridiculous. It's Sixteen crazy. out
2: of 25, Jason. Like it's this. That's that's a great percentage. Uh, let's just start there. Sixteen out of 25 disciplines at Duke registered a perfect score.
1: Yeah. So here they are. Field hockey, men's cross country, men's golf, men's lacrosse, men's soccer, men's tennis, men's track and field, softball, women's cross country, women's fencing, women's golf, rowing, women's soccer, women's swimming and diving, women's track and field and volleyball. Wow. I mean. And yeah. I
2: should mention that a lot of those school, I mean, a few of those sports that you mentioned, Jason, in those four years have competed for or won national championships. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing excellence on and off the field, which is exactly what I think all alums at Duke strive for, is, is our school, is our is our student-athletes to represent us by uh, competing successfully on the field, doing as best they can and, and winning these, these trophies, but also excelling in the classroom and being, you know, we talk about the all-academic ACC and all-American stuff. It's filled with Duke students, and we cannot be prouder of those uh, students who are, who are doing that is in the, in those sports were doing It's incredible. Uh, by the way. So again, Duke had 16 programs to get a perfect 1000
1: score. Georgia tech had three Pittsburgh had one Syracuse three. Um, the next highest was Notre Dame, which is another school that really stresses academics and, uh, and athletics. Notre Dame had 13, but again, Duke 16, Notre Dame 13. This is a, like you said, something we should all be incredibly proud of. That's the good news. Donald, You know what we're about to talk about. There's some bad news here. And fans of this podcast are not going to be thrilled with it. The Duke men's basketball team, their score was embarrassingly bad. Their score was a 930.5, a 930. I want to explain something to people. If your score drops below 930, it's not automatic, but you can be suspended from participating in the postseason. The Duke men's basketball team is a razor just so close from potentially being suspended from participating in the NCAA tournament because of our academics.
2: Uh, it's, and this is through this is through 2021, 2022. They have not right. factored in this past season yet. Yes, yeah. And I'm going to tell you why
1: Duke is in trouble. It is because of one year, and that year, is 2021 to 2022, because the way they do this, the way they do this score, I want everyone to understand this. We're gonna throw some numbers at you. Get a get a piece of paper and a pen, because here comes some numbers, not a lot of them. But the way they do this is it's a four-year rolling average and and they calculate your score each year. And so so one bad year can't can't kill you. Although boy, Duke, Duke came darn close to being killed. You sure day. about
2: that, Jason? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: we're about to talk about it. So here are Duke's scores. And by the way, it's worth noting that 2019-2020 which was the, the year of COVID, the, the NCAA scrapped this for that year. They were like, things are too confusing. Schools shut down, all kinds of, we're not counting that year at all. So the years that count right now are 2017, 18, 18, 19, 2021, and 21, 22, 2022. How many numbers is that? Here are the scores that Duke had each one of those years. 2017, 18, we had a 936. 2018, 19, Duke had a perfect 1,000. By the way, Donald, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, all those guys finished out their classes at Duke before turning prep. Very impressive. Yep. I'm really proud of those guys. 2021, tw- I'm sorry, 2020, 2021, Duke had a 957. And we're not going to get into how these things are calculated. It's kind <laughs> it, it's it's of, it's a wonky formula. But now we get to the year that's a problem. In the year 2021 to 2022, Duke's APR score was 829. That's shameful it's it's un it's unbelievable it puts us in like the 10th percentile of all Division one basketball schools that year Donald I know you 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 looked at this a little bit how the hell did we get an 829
2: so I'm gonna break down a little bit of the process but it's hard to do because the way the NCAA calculates people who leave for the NBA is a little bit different than the way they calculate people who transfer or graduate Right. So we had fourteen players on the roster. And mind you, they only count scholarship athletes. So right. I, I I know Duke does give scholarships to our quote walk ons, and I'm not quite sure who last year had it had a scholarship and who didn't. So for the sake of, of argument, we're just gonna say all fourteen were on an on an athletic scholarship of some kind. So they count. So there's fourteen guys. We had, of course, five players who left for the NBA. We had two that transferred, and we had three that graduated, and only four of those players returned. If you finish the term and you are academically eligible, you basically academically eligible, and you come back, then you basically get one hundred percent. If you're if you're retained by graduation, but you finish eligible, you also get a hundred. It's when you start leaving for transfer or if you leave for uh, another for the NBA, that's where it gets a little convoluted. You start losing points if you are either not coming back to school uh, early or if you are academically ineligible, meaning you didn't finish your classes before you left. So Duke would have had a possible 28 points if all 14 players came back and were academically eligible, we'd have 28 possible points. That would be at a 1,000. What they do is they take the number of points that you earned, divide that, and then multiply it by 1,000 to get your number. So basically, we got 82.9% of total possible points. That means that we got 23 out of 28. That means five players, most likely, did not do what they need to do in the classroom to be considered academically eligible when they either left... Or again, if they came back to school. So we, we don't have obviously names, or we wouldn't necessarily call out those names on this podcast, but that means that there's five players. Maybe. Uh, I mean, Jason's, Jason's, Jason's head, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I, so,
1: yeah, uh, look, I don't know, but based on guys who are eligible, based on guys who graduated, at least reportedly graduated, based on well, guys. We have who, six years
2: to graduate. So it doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's basically if you if you graduate if you're a senior or whatever, then you still count but you have 2 years after your eligibility expires to graduate and still be considered an academic. So so
1: I'm I'm going to call it out. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I I think it is pretty likely that multiple of the guys who turned pro for Duke did not finish their classes the second semester. They did the first semester because they retained eligibility, but the second semester and I'm talking, and I'll I'll, I'll name them. It's Paula Bancaro. It's AJ Griffin. It's Wendell Moore. Um, it's Trevor Keels. and and, and potentially Joey Baker, because those are the those are the guys. Because Joey, and Mark Williams, and Mark, Mark Williams. And, and Mark will Williams. Thank it. you, thank you. I knew yeah. there's one I was missing, and, and Joey Baker who who transferred.
2: Although I think Joey technically
1: did like a grad transfer, so it probably wasn't Joey.
2: Yes, and and Michael Savarino also transferred, and I believe he was considered right. a graduate transfer as well.
1: Yeah, and Keenan Worthington left Duke but we don't know where yes. he went
2: <laughs> but he that's, was eligible to graduate so he had right. eligibility left so I'm not like basically there was five guys who left early who still had eligibility that was left on the table so to speak
1: Donald I'm not saying we know anything for a fact and we will never get this confirmed from Duke Duke is not about to share any of their names but I think I think there's a really really good chance that maybe all five of those guys that went into the NBA draft or certainly several of them, didn't do their classes. They didn't. They just, once they declared for the draft, they're like, okay, done. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do workouts. I'm not going to go to class anymore. I I hate that. I think it's wrong. I think it's bad. And I don't think it's what Duke Athletics should be about. And I get that we are currently trying to, we're treating our basketball players as a pre-NBA kind of thing. That's just the reality of where we are today. Frankly, there's no reason for Paulo Bancaro to to worry a lot about his freshman comp class compared to developing his basketball skills from a practical standpoint. But I'm still very, very bothered by this. I think that number, that 829 number that Duke posted in the APR for 21-22 is shameful. It's the lowest in the ACC by a lot and i i hope that john shire will uh, look the the duke's total score the the 930 that we mentioned that is right again on the cusp of having duke potentially ineligible that has to get john shire's attention look this press release that duke put out where all these other programs are are scoring a thousand or in the 990s and stuff like that Duke basketball is very, very, very aware that on that list, they are the lowest of any team at Duke in terms of how they've done on the on the on the uh, APR. And and I hope that we will talk to guys, even the guys who are know they are turning pro, and stress to them, dude, just put in a little extra work and get it done because it, it could matter sometime in the future for you if you want to get a degree.
2: So, I'm going to not necessarily be as harsh on any players, right? Because for me, basketball is a team sport. Most people out there have seen Coach Carter. Coach Carter was like, yo, one person fails, the whole team fails. One person doesn't get all the points. So, when one person's failing, it doesn't mean, oh, sorry, that guy has to go and we'll just carry on like, like nothing happened. Everyone is responsible for this. I, I want to tell a quick story. In 2001, obviously, I was a freshman on campus when we won the national championship. And I still remember Shane Baddier and Jay Williams and, you know, Michael Dunleavy, Carlos Boozer, those guys. They basically, I remember Shane Baddier said that he had had three days in the month of March where he was on campus because they were basically coming from games and going to games, practicing, they were in different cities, whatever but he was they were holding calls with professors so they could figure out what they were missing they obviously had study halls on the road when he came back he basically took all of his tests that he had missed up like like hey I'm going to be gone for 2 weeks can I come back and take all these tests he had arranged for them to take tests and of course the you know, professor like yeah you're you're going to you're you're in competition so let's figure this out and make it work and he he basically said in the 3 days that he was there they basically took all their all their tests and all did all their papers on the road And it was one of those things where they were like, hey, in the midst of all this, this team winning a national championship, they were still trying to make sure that they were all academically eligible for each other. Because at that time, we didn't know who was coming back to school, because if they won a national championship, it's clear that, you know, we could have lost all of them. Right. But we retained most of those guys. In last year. Our guys went to the final four. It was obviously a huge month. We had a lot lot of emotion through that month, through Coach K's last game in Cameron, the ACC tournament, where they went all the way to the final, and then they got all the way to the final four, and they they lost that game that never happened. But in the midst of that, they probably weren't on campus that much. And the idea is they need to be headstrong about making sure that each one of them is taking care of their responsibilities while they're away from home. It's something that Jason, you and I, we 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 you know when we travel, we have to make sure we we take get our stuff done, take care of our business. I'm on the road a lot. But a lot of times I get my business done on the road because that's what is required to do this. We do this podcast from several, we've done this from several countries because sometimes it needs to get done. And I stress to, I challenge this team basically to accept this as a team. It doesn't matter who failed, the whole team failed because the whole team's number is reflected. It's not reflected in where this guy did this and this guy did that. So if one guy is batting a thousand, that's great. Do what you can to help pick up the guy who's batting zero. That's how this team thing works. And all the other teams that you mentioned, Jason, figure that out. And for Duke basketball, it's one of those things where we pride ourselves in making sure that they are excellent on and off the field, on and off the court. And men's basketball has to, they they have not been successful last year in 2021, 2022, off the court. They're very successful on the court. We love to strive for success both in the classroom and on the court. So that's something that hopefully that this class is doing. I know classes are in their reading period and doing finals. So hopefully they're taking care of business right now. The, even the, the you know, Dariq Whitehead and Derek Lively who are leaving for the NBA, uh, you know, Jeremy Roach is testing the waters. Hopefully they are taking care of their commitments before they get into that process. And then again, that might be part of why John Shire is trying to get guys to stay longer that they can be to the point where it becomes a mo- an investment for them as well hey three years in why, why like I sh- I might as well just finish this degree and with all these classes that they take in the summertime and and, the, and you know doing their during their practice and workouts some of these guys can be graduating in three years it's a matter of discipline and making sure that they choose to do so and again I I challenge them to make those improvements to get that done let's be successful in the classroom this year and beyond because That number needs to go up.
1: Yeah, my last word on this is it is very easy for any of us to go, oh, wait, these guys, they've got to prepare for the NBA. And Duke has more guys preparing for the NBA than any other school out there. Hey, I get that. I agree. But I want to remind you from the beginning of this conversation when I told everybody about the 2019 Duke APR score, 1,000, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, all three of those guys, Trey Jones, all, like, well, yeah, but, but Trey was coming. A bunch back. of guys are in
2: the NBA from that team.
1: Yeah, no, 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 but I'm saying, I'm saying, guys who, who knew, in, heck, they knew in February,
2: that they were, they probably knew when they were sophomores in high school. Yeah, really, <laughs> but,
1: but they knew they didn't need to keep going to classes because they were going to be declaring for the NBA, and, you know, finishing up that second semester freshman year class probably didn't matter that much. But you know what? They all finished it. The 2018-2019 team had a perfect academic progress report score. Perfect score. Not a single one of those guys blew it off. It is shameful. Shameful. The 21-22 Duke team. A team that we're hanging a banner for. There's a banner in Cameron for these guys who didn't
2: finish their classes. And last point, it's about the brotherhood, right? Like, yeah. You want to make it so that you don't screw up something for the future members of the Brotherhood. That's the yeah, that, oh that eight
1: twenty nine will be hanging over Duke for four years. We've got to have higher scores to make
2: up for that eight twenty nine, right? And we have to get. I mean, that dropped us thirty points, but at the end of the day, you don't want the you know a team three years from now to be suspended from the postseason because of what you did. And that's kind of the thing that it's kind of lost in in every sport that we do, and that's just not just basketball. Every sport, they don't think, hey, what I'm doing now in this classroom can affect a future teammate of mine because they're a freshman and I'm a senior. And that freshman as a senior may not be able to compete in the postseason because of something that I did. That's just something where it's again, it's about team responsibility and everybody taking care of one another and making sure that if one person is is struggling, we're all struggling and we do whatever we can to lift up that brotherhood so that it's always that no one can ever diss us about our classroom or about our court success. Amen.
1: Amen, brother. Hey, I want to point out, by the way, that, you know, Donald and I got all this from public, publicly available NCAA websites. This is all out there. Anyone can, can find it. If for some reason we made, you know, we read something wrong and made some big mistake and ca- these things are not easy to calculate. There's a lot of numbers going on and a lot of fancy jargon and language from the NCAA. Maybe we we're completely wrong about some of this stuff but I don't think we are. So I'm just putting that out there before we get emailed. Someone's going to go, wait, you got this. How dare you? You know, we probably earned it if we, if we, if we said something wrong, but I think we both looked at the numbers. I think that we were correct about, about what we said. And there is no question The Duke's number this year was exactly a 930. I confirmed that with, with uh, the Duke sports information department. Cause I was like, that's such a terribly low number. How did that happen? And they confirmed for me that the number is 930. And, uh, you know, again, that's the four-year rolling average. And the only way it gets that low is if you have years that are way worse than 930. And it appears that the 2021-2022 Blue Devils were responsible for a really, really bad number. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for us here on the latest edition of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Thank you for listening. For Donald, for Sam, who's missing. I am Jason. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.